Looking to stand out from the pack at your first job? When you earn a master's in management from Georgetown, you'll gain the skills employers value most, elevating your career prospects for years to come. Get started at choosegeorgetown.com slash MIM. Hop in. We're back with another edition of the Smart Driving Cars podcast. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the faculty chair of autonomous vehicle engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser. Hi, Alan. Hi, Fred. And we're happy to welcome back Michael Cena, an internationally recognized expert in vehicle connectivity, location-based services, and navigation. He is based in Sweden and publishes the Dispatcher newsletter and is at michaelsena.com. Thanks for joining us, Michael. Nice to be here again, Fred. Nice to have you back, Michael. Good to hear your voice, Alan. Well, let's start out with a headline or two. In San Francisco, the Waymo versus Uber trial is underway. Waymo claiming thousands of files were stolen and being used by Uber for its self-driving car project. Alan, this is a pretty important case for a bunch of reasons. Yes, it's it's very important because, of course, uh, people put a lot of work into their intellectual property, and, uh, of course, they, they want to protect it. And in a sense, uh, this is, um, this is really what this is all about. Um, um, protecting intellectual property, uh, whether or not, uh, you know, anything was taken and so on, uh, we'll find out. Uh, the nice thing is that we're getting to hear from some people under oath. And, uh, and apparently, um, um, we're going to learn a lot in the process. Uh, um, and so, uh, it's, it's sort of, uh, wireism a little bit, but it's, uh, it's a view into, uh, both of those companies and in some sense, uh, uh, what makes them tick and, and really, uh, what's, re- what's very important to them is, is the ability to, to put, uh, driverless cars out there, um, in service, um, as um, as um, mobility for everybody, so this is very interesting. I guess we won't hear from uh, from Anthony because he's apparently going to take the fifth. Anthony's been in this, well, uh, certainly essentially since the beginning. Uh, the beginning was the DARPA challenges, and and he certainly um, um, did a lot of innovation himself, but then of course uh, joined Waymo, and then. Uh, Created auto, and we know the whole story. So, and we'll learn more about it. Another uh, headline today is from Amazon announcing that uh, starting in certain cities, it's rolling out delivery from its Whole Food stores within a two-hour window. This will be for Amazon Prime members, and if you want the delivery within the hour, you can get that for seven ninety-nine. The orders have to be over thirty-five dollars, of course. Alan, when Amazon announced it was buying Whole Foods, you talked about this kind of scenario and that it would eventually involve automated vehicles. Yeah, I mean, this is this, that was the the real innovation associated with Amazon uh, purchasing uh, Whole Foods. It's it's really not just about groceries; uh, it's about anything in some sense. And this really provides them a, a, a distributed set of, of warehouses around the country where really they, they can talk about deliveries within two hours and one hour of, of things that people just need. 
And and the fact that they're doing this, you know, we can almost think this is a DD Uber lift of getting groceries in some sense. You know, it's going to just bring it to you and, and drop it at, at your request. And, um, and in the end, to do it really well, uh, then uh, the way to do it is is to do it with automated uh, driverless vehicles. And in some sense, not necessarily during the day for the one and two hour delivery, but certainly uh, during the overnight when the when the streets uh, of our of our towns and neighborhoods aren't being used for anything else, might as well have uh, Amazon Whole Foods uh, delivering stuff to our houses so we don't have to schlep out there to go get it. Yeah, and they're all already, as you've pointed out, using some uh, ride sharing drivers uh, to to deliver. Well, of course, and, and, you know, UPS. If, if you look at the time that, that people might be doing this, this is sort of in the in the low points during the day when when not too many people are traveling. It's not that these things are going to be done in the morning peak of eight a.m. or seven a.m. to nine a.m. or in necessarily in the evening peak between uh, you know three thirty and six thirty. This is probably going to be done you know mostly between ten a.m. and 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 3 p.m. and then maybe in, of course, as I say, overnight. So in, in fact, it, it it it's utilizing uh, the availability of these um, uh, these uh, gig workers who are doing uh, the uh, Uber Lyft in the U.S. and um, and using them as as well as others. And and so uh, great, wonderful. It fills in it fills fills in valleys in the demand and uh, and. Uh, are you kidding me to get something delivered for $7.99 in an hour? Whoa. I mean, who wouldn't do that? Well, it's free if, if you're willing to wait a whole two hours. <laughs> oh, oh, my goodness. Jeez. <laughs> Michael, in this month's edition of The Dispatcher, the headline is No Humanless Drive Without AGI. That stands for Artificial General Intelligence. And I'll let you describe exactly what that is and, and maybe how far away we are from it. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm not an expert on, on uh, how far away we are from artificial general intelligence. But the idea is that AGI is, is one step further than just simple artificial intelligence. Artificial general intelligence is defined by the experts, including uh, Max Tegmark, a Swede who's been spending a lot of his time in the uh, in the U.S. at MIT as a physics professor, but also specializing in uh, in AI. Um, the idea is that with AGI, you have a machine that's able to do the same kinds of things in the same kinds of ways as humans. Uh, AI works very well in playing chess and playing Go and, and doing certain things individual things very well, but AGI, like humans, will, will be able to do a number of things very well, and a number of things um, are required simultaneously to drive a car. Um, Ellen and I had a, had a little exchange on this during the last week about whether driving a car really is that difficult, and I think the reason why some people may, may think that it's not difficult is that they're human and they can accommodate a number of goals simultaneously. Um, you take a three-year-old child or a ten-year-old child who's never driven a car before and you put them in, you put them in a car 
they're not going to be expert drivers. Even though they may be able to manage to steer the car and get it around the course, they're not going to be able to do the kinds of things that will get them out of trouble when the snow is falling and there's a foot of snow on the, on the, 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 the uh, road ahead of you. Um, and there are cars that are traveling at, at higher speeds than they should be traveling. So the, the idea behind artificial general intelligence is when we get there, when we get to a point where uh, we saw, and if, if you managed, if you've read the book um, Origin uh, by Dan Brown, where where um, the AGI is able to do things that we just can't imagine that a, that a, a computer can do, those AGIs will be able to drive cars. Alan, you you've had some questions about this. Well, I agree. It takes an enormous amount of intelligence. The, the only element that, that I sort of um, uh, somewhat rely on, it's, it's, of course, without any proof, it's arm-waving. But, but the good thing about the driving environment is that we've created it. It's a human-created thing. It's not a, a natural thing. And, and I'll take that because we created it. We've created it in a very simple fashion, and, and it's a very simple system. The, the fundamental element of the driving, if you really look at it, is extremely simple. And we've made it an extremely simple infrastructure to do it. We've created lanes that are really mostly straight. They're mostly flat. They're, they're in some sense wide enough. Uh, and, um, and the speeds that we deal with, <clears throat> unless we're, you know, the crazies on the Autobahn are really supposed to, are, are, are quite modest. And, and especially within, um, within, uh, environments in which, you know, you can have maybe a, a child darting out into the street. And so if, if in fact we, uh, we went back a little bit, to the more basic system that we created and and sort of keep the the um the uh, disrespect or the 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 the, the total uh um, um non um uh, adherence to the the designs that we made of this system it is a, it ends up being a really simple system but we've decided we want to misbehave. We've decided we want to break the speed limit by who knows what. We've decided we want to run traffic lights. We decided that we want to, we want to maybe, you know, uh, when it's not, when the automated systems aren't there, we don't want to pay any attention. And in some sense, maybe all of that stuff needs to be reined back a little bit. People ask, uh, you know, what are the infrastructure needs for driverless vehicles? It really isn't much more than paint and for everybody to start behaving instead of misbehaving with these systems. And, and if there was a little bit more respect out of that, then it's easy. But if it's total chaos out there, if you're at the Etoile in Paris or someplace or driving in Rome or whatever, I'm not going to pick on, pick on Rome, but you know, it is really tough. And I agree that we're going to need an enormous amount of intelligence to do those things. But, you know, really driving around Princeton really should be easy, except for maybe Nassau Street, you know, freshman, especially parting between cars. So the, Michael, is the, is the upshot of what you're saying that uh, 
that uh, this self-driving technology is really uh, farther out from implementation than than uh, a lot of others seem to think? Yes. I mean, the simple answer to that question is yes. I mean, if, if you, if you want to drive a car around Sunnyvale or you want to drive around Palo Alto, um, but please don't try driving that car from where I live to 100 miles north in a snowstorm, which is what I did last week, where all the cars, all the signs are covered with snow because the snow is blowing from the south and it's covering every single sign. All the paint is covered with snow. And it's, it's one thing to say that, it, that, that one of these cars, even if you do have a reason for it, like you might in a, in a, in a, in a retirement community, where you may not have people you can hire to be a bus driver to carry people around and help them with their, their whatever they, they buy or whatever they need to, to, uh, to get around with, um, where you could have a, a humanless driven car. But the purpose of a humanless driven car is if you say it's primarily to save money or you say it's primarily to stop people from making, from doing all the things that they shouldn't be doing. So we get the human out of the, the bad human out of there. And we have a wonderful, wonderful humanless driver in the car who obeys all the signs, but there has to be a reason for it. There has to be an objective for it. And when you, when you have an objective of being a, a good citizen and driving a car the way it should be driven, you have multiple goals that you need to be able to satisfy. And when you have multiple goals, AI doesn't cut it. AGI does. So in order to get a car driven anywhere that a car would drive today, and there's really no point in having driverless cars if we're not going to have be able to drive in, in most places where we want to go anyway, then we're going to need a lot more power in that vehicle. And, and Alan, I don't there's the one thing that you said that I really don't agree with. I don't think that, that our, our driving, that where we drive our cars is all that simple. It may be in and around Princeton, but once you get out into the countryside, when you've got all kinds of things happening, not just kids, but, but animals and, you know, for some people, a bird flying across the, across the road distracts them. They don't want to hit a bird. So they end up killing themselves by hitting a tree. I mean, there are all kinds of things that happen in the, when we're driving our cars. And really, you could say the only thing that we can do is stop people from driving. And one way of doing it is to get get computers in there and having computers driving the cars without us driving the cars. But then, really, as I said at the end of the article, what's the point? I mean, if we're going to live in a, in a world, what's the point of, of not being able to live? And some some in some cases, being able to live means dying. Well, you know, uh, Michael, I agree with you, but of course I disagree. Since you're going to disagree with me, I'm going to disagree. With you. <laughs> uh, one, uh, if you couldn't, if you couldn't see the lanes or had no tracks to follow and you couldn't see the signs, you shouldn't have been driving. Uh, two, these things aren't being made to drive into, into fog or, or drive in necessarily in Atlanta when they have their annual ice storm. Um, and, and, and that's and certainly not until we have exactly what you point out, but, but we can, we can do a, a large percentage, 80 plus percentage of the, of, of the trips. Um, you know, in New Jersey, uh, even Governor Christie had some state of emergency, uh, times when we had bad weather and told people, you know, don't go out. You really shouldn't. We shouldn't be, uh, like the, uh, 
com- the Jeep commercial in at the Super Bowl. Oh my goodness, Jeep wants to sell us cars that we can drive down the riverbed. Boy, I'm just dying to buy a car that I can drive down the riverbed. Oh my goodness. Um, and, um, anyway, so that's silly, but if you look at, at provide, trying to provide mobility to everybody and not have them, have, having them to have to have this darn vehicle attached to their hip that they have to then find a place to park and they have to wash and they have to maintain and they have to pay insurance. I mean, you know, have real public transportation, uh, mobility, uh, as a service, um, Unfortunately, since we're all going from all sorts of different places to all other different places at all different times, uh, we can't just pile into a big bus and, and, a, and, and afford a driver. So therefore, you know, that's the motivation for all this. And anyway, um, we'll see where we get to. You can have a, you can have a comeback, Michael. <laughs> well, I think, I think the book, which I recommended highly in the dispatcher, I think is really worth reading. I, I, I recommend that too. Yeah. yeah. Well, we do have we some more news to talk about as well. Um, Didi partnering with Renault, Nissan, Mitsubishi for a self-driving ride service in China. Uh, we've talked about Didi before. They're, they're sort of the, the Uber of China, Alan. Yeah, I think, you know, <laughs> Again, Didi is out there trying to provide mobility as a service, I guess, to everyone. And uh, they seem to be the world leaders out there in terms of the number of trips per day that they're offering. So they claim something like $25 million a day, uh, and mostly in, in China. But if you, look at, if you look at the number of trips that are being taken, vehicle trips that are being taken in China on a typical day, um, uh, that number is probably at least... 2.5 billion. And so, you know, they're still a hundred X away from, from serving all those trips. Uh, they're basically, you know, at, at the 1% level, if even that. Well, one and of the things that, that's striking, Alan, I think is that, uh, who this partnership is with, it's not a, a Chinese car maker. So we're really, really talking about, uh, a global effort here, it seems. Oh, yes. I think it's a global coming together in a sense. And it will be a global entity that, that will, that will put the various technologies together. If you look at the iPhone, isn't it, you know, isn't there a global entity basically uh, contributing to the various pieces of that in terms of, of its support, in terms of its uh, design, in terms of its uh, gizmos, in terms of its so on. So yeah, this, this, this whole thing is, is, is a world, is a world market. In San Francisco, there's a startup called Embark in the meantime that says it has completed a coast to coast test drive of its autonomous semi truck, uh, without relying on a human driver on the freeway. So there were drivers along for the ride. They built five trucks and they plan to build about 40 this year, they're saying. Yeah, well, you know, it's uh, it's an accomplishment, and I guess uh, you know, they didn't report the number of disengagements they had. Uh, you know, that in times in which the the uh, operator um, who was watching over everything going on had to grab the wheel uh, because uh, the system uh, uh, didn't have enough um, uh, generalized uh, AI associated with it, and so. Uh, 
and so um, maybe it, it did it the whole way with uh, without having any driver intervention that they didn't report that, which is one the really good thing about the tests that are being done in California. You know, the California statutes require that the people doing testing report on uh, those kinds of disengagements of the automated system so that we can really see as these vehicles are out there experiencing all the things that, that Michael was talking about, um, how good are their systems in, in dealing with them and how often does the intelligence of the human have to grab a hold of the darn thing and save it. And, and, uh, but, uh, that wasn't reported here. So, um, you know, I, we can, you know, it's a press release and it's good to hear. Uh, the other aspect of it is, is, uh, freeways from LA to Jacksonville. I mean, it's not the, the hardest drive in the world. That's for sure. It's, <laughs> it, it wasn't snowstorm with, uh, not able to see any signs, a situation that, that, uh, that Michael was talking about. And so uh, hopefully it can do that. Um, and, uh, but the other challenge of, of what they're doing is they're, they're of course doing retrofitting of their technology onto existing buses as a, uh, existing trucks as a startup. And, and while that's, that's the big market, uh, boy, the risks associated with that market are just, uh, enormously big and therefore, um, Tough for a startup to do. Yeah, I'm sitting right now in a, in a very close to the home of, of uh, Volvo Trucks, and in in Sweden we have both uh, AB Volvo, which is the second largest uh, car group, a uh, truck group in the world, and and Scania, which is part of the Volkswagen Group. And it's nice to hear about companies like Embark, um, but really, what's what's happening with with the large truck makers is really it's much more important, and they're all working on this. But there's two very compelling reasons for helping the the, the car, the trucks, uh, to move without active driver involvement. One of the one of them is that there's an enormous shortage of drivers everywhere in North America and in Europe in particular. Um, and the second reason is that there's so much activity that needs to be done. And, and administrative work that needs to be done by the drivers, and if the if the truck isn't moving, there's there's someone's paying for something that 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 they're not getting value for. So the idea of the truck being able to move while the while the truck driver is concentrating at least temporarily on something other than than driving the car is a is a big add-on. So that there are two compelling reasons from a financial standpoint for assistance to the truck drivers. We're not going to get the truck drivers out of the picture. I mean, there are some trucks that are on the road that are saying companies, one of them is, is based here in Sweden, where they're saying, you know, we don't need a truck driver. That That's silly because for a number of reasons, you need to have the person who's managing that load on the, along the way when it gets to where it's going and when it's when it's coming from where it's coming from. So the, the, the it's, it's just that, Managing these huge vehicles is a very difficult job, and it needs someone who's trained. And, and it's just for some reason, I don't know what people are doing, but they're not becoming truck drivers. And we need much more, much more, many more truck drivers than we are able to get today. Well, I, I agree with Michael 100% on this, uh, especially with uh, long-haul trucking. Um, it's a tough job. It is not easy. 
and and the driver could use some help and and therefore and use that help so that they can relax a little bit and maybe do some administrative duties that that's the reason to put the technology on there not you know and not to take the driver out of a truck and if you make it attractive enough then maybe some people might be willing to do the job and if you then allow them uh, because of this to have some more hours of service Therefore, uh, you know, deliver more productivity out of the truck. They might be able to better feed their families, and so this is the reason to do these things, and and not to not to do platooning and save, um, you know, who knows, point one percent on aerodynamics and all that stuff. It's really to improve the the quality of life of work life for these drivers, and allow them to be more productive. And have everybody be happy out of this thing. That's the reason for the technology. Yeah. And, uh, and perhaps more safety for, well for all of us who are on the roads, right? And absolutely. Yeah. And deliver better safety for all of us. I mean, can you imagine for 10 hours in a day making sure you, you have, I mean, you, you, if you somehow get distracted, you die. Come on, cut it out. We have technology that can help. Some other stories we want to touch on real quick. Uh, the Winter Olympics getting underway in South Korea, and Hyundai has a fleet of five autonomous hydrogen-fueled cars uh, driving from Seoul to Pyeongchang. Uh, that's about 118 miles, and I assume maybe through, through some snow. Uh, they're described as being level four vehicles, not not quite fully self-driving. Yeah, well, they have people. They have people behind the steering wheel ready to take take over that's for sure and secondly i mean it's back in the 70s we we were doing hydrogen economy i you know the hydrogen economy is is maybe like driverless cars they're always 30 years into the future i don't know michael i yeah well i've I've written about this and i'm i've been a i've been a fan of of hydrogen cars whereas but i'm still on the bottom of the hockey stick uh, it's unfortunate that because I think the, the potential is phenomenal, but uh, we've got to get the, we've got to get the prices down. But the, and there are only two players in the market, Hyundai and, and uh, Toyota. But they continue to work very hard. So I'm still a believer. Yeah, I mean I'm a believer too. But yes, I yeah. agree. We're at the bottom of the hockey stick on that one. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Another company to mention here, Ford. They filed a patent application, according to a report in the Washington Post, for autonomous police cars. Among other things, according to the application, uh, and Ford isn't saying they're going to follow through on the application, but the car could use artificial intelligence to determine the perfect spots to hide to catch speeders or other lawbreakers who presumably are overriding their own self-driving system. I I, I was... I looked at the, at the calendar. I said, is this, is it April 1st? I mean, is this a joke? <laughs> Thank you, Michael. I mean, does Ford have nothing better to do? Uh, get the, get the, get the price of the stock up. I mean, you know, really, uh, this, this is such, this is worse than sophomoric. I mean, it's whatever. Um, never mind. Well, Alan, there's something else we want to chat, chat about that I know you have some, uh, strong thoughts about. Uh, there's a new Port Authority bus terminal uh, coming in, in New York City, but you're, you're saying you're not a fan with everything they're doing there. 
Well, I, it might, it's an opportunity. They're building, they're going to spend who knows what, $10 billion to build a new bus terminal. It's going to be there for, I don't know, 50 years, 100 years, whatever. And, and it's it's just reading the article. Oh, my goodness. Let's let's mention the possibility that uh, that there might be technological uh, evolution in the bus. I think it, it, it has one sentence in the whole whole report uh, as opposed to worrying about a lot of things. And in fact, you know, technology that exists could really uh, completely uh, substantially improve mobility from from New Jersey to New York uh, because, of course, uh, the big constraint to, to the bus terminal is not the bus current bus terminal. It's the viaduct uh, that leads to the, to the Lincoln Tunnel from the New Jersey Turnpike. And that viaduct right now has a capacity uh, in the morning of 700 buses per hour. Why? Because humans are driving it and the, and the, and the variance in the headway is such that that's a, essentially as many buses as you can push there, through there. However, if you put just the, 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 the systems that exist on, on Tesla or Cadillac or, or Mercedes on, on, just the 3,000 buses that use that facility, you know, as I've put in, in more driving cars, couldn't cost more than 10,000 bucks a, um, a vehicle. You know, you, you could, you could with, uh, with basically 30, call it 50, call it a hundred million dollars, increase the, the throughput on the XBL by 50%. And therefore move basically 15,000 more people per peak hour into the city on a one seat ride, you know, into Midtown. What you need to be able to do that to, to really accomplish that is to have the bus terminal be able to eat those vehicles when they come out of the other end of the Lincoln Tunnel. And so you have to design for that. And they're not. They're looking at, oh my goodness, it's going to be the same buses. That they're using it now and with a, and it's whatever. And it's at one point in time, the Port Authority of New York was the transportation innovator. They invested in a George Washington bridge, you know, when such things for and having it just have deal with with uh, um, rubber tired vehicle traffic was really not um, uh uh, uh, was, was an innovation. They went in and, and leased Idlewild Airport at the time when, uh, geez, really? We're gonna, have, we're gonna be flying all over the place in jets and, uh, and, and they were fundamentally transportation innovators. Now they're saying, oh my goodness, we can't risk anything. We have, we have to be, we have to be totally risk averse. I don't know. It just seems to me. Goofy, so not not I, quite forward thinking enough. Finally, you mentioned Tesla, uh, Alan. In the latest newsletter, you point out that an automated emergency braking system may have been able to prevent that uh, recent crash of a Model S into a parked fire truck in Culver City. Well, I, I don't know. Uh, uh, it seems to me an automated emergency braking system should be looking down the road and keeping your speed such that whatever the distance a a stationary object is ahead of you, you begin applying the brakes uh, in such a way such that you don't hit it. And they should be designed that way. But, of course, they're not. They're designed only to do that, uh, only to apply the brakes if you touch them. Well, 
Geez, the whole purpose of, of having them is because for some reason I, I, I wasn't touching the brake. And so why is there, a, and why isn't there one that does work? Well, we know why there isn't one that does, that, that, that they work that way is because they're afraid of the false alarms. Well, make it so that it doesn't have any false alarms. But it has yeah, this, nothing to do with taking your hands off the wheel or feet off the brakes. My view. I mean, but but the problem is that that this is hard. This is difficult. It's not. A, it's not. I know it's not. It's. I know it's not rocket science. Then we should focus on taking our hands off the wheel and feet off the brake. We should do that first. And somehow, yeah. oh, that's level one, or that's level minus two. Oh, we're much better than that. We have to do level 16. Come on. Yeah, I agree. We shouldn't be commit, we shouldn't be broadcasting the fact that our car is able to stop by itself if you're not watching the road because you're watching your phone or you're watching the, the, the controls of the air conditioner or you're, you're looking back at your children who, who are doing something in the back seat. That's what an automatic braking system should do. But if the automatic braking system cannot do that, we shouldn't be telling people that it does. Because if they believe that it does, and, and this is what Tesla is doing wrong, they're telling them, you're on autopilot. You're on autopilot. You can do something else because the car will drive itself. But it's also telling you, if you, if you do this, you don't have to keep your eyes ahead because the car will stop itself. Well, it doesn't. It hasn't in a number of cases, at least in two that I know of. In one of the person, one of the cases, the person died. So I, I totally agree with you, Alan. We need to have automatic braking systems that work, but we shouldn't be telling people that we have them in our cars if they don't work. We should I, stop I absolutely, them from doing that. I absolutely agree with you again on this, Michael. But it's not just Tesla. It's Toyota. No, it's, it's everybody. Yep, and it's they everybody. have an automated emergency braking system, you know, and they're, they're, they're selling it. And, 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 and the systems don't work. The, the, the design conditions are such that, that they're basically dead on arrival. They're designed to not work at the particular time when you need the darn thing to work. So why is it that, that DOT and NHTSA and all the others aren't dealing with that? Oh, they're dealing with connected vehicles and level five. Well, I agree. Get this right first. On the brighter side, <laughs> there's a yes. red Tesla Roadster speeding in space as we speak. I guess we could say it's on autopilot, doesn't need brakes <laughs> at all. So whatever else we have to say about the company, that's pretty cool. It's Did it release, really its, cool. Did it release, its, Did it release its numbers today? Tesla, uh, yeah, Tesla released some numbers I, last I night, looked. and I guess uh, Wall Street is fairly happy with what they had to say, from what I understand. Well, that's good news. That's great news. That's great. And they should be because they had such good news with the with the, with the launch. I mean, um, they're in the New York Times. Uh, they they have the icon. What I claim is going to be an, an iconic photo of the two side uh, boosters simultaneously landing as if they're doing, you know, sort of. 
choreographed uh, North Korean style, who knows what uh, acrobatics that just come and land, tail land. Yeah. And, and I mean, it that's, is. That's the story. That's the that's the big news. As far as I'm concerned, pushing pushing something up wasn't so important, but getting those back down, even if one of them didn't get back down, but two right. of them did. I mean, that's phenomenal. Yeah. Absolutely phenomenal. And it's phenomenal. And, and and you look at it and you say, that has to be North Korean Photoshop or something, you know? <laughs> it has to be Star Wars. It, it just can't be. Um, uh, but, but of course, they're going to come back at the same time. They were, you know... The, the the F equals MA, the whole darn thing brings them back at the same time. They they detached at the same time. They came from the same place. But 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 it it's just it's it, to me it's so inspiring. Um, and this is this is you know for everything that we uh, you know you really have to look up the Elon Musk. I mean the creation of that, the, the, all the people there that worked so darn hard. Uh, to make this happen, so it wasn't the embarrassment of vanguards blowing up on the pad and at Cape Canaveral and all the other stuff that you know in the beginning when it was really tough. Um, and and it, and to do that, it's and you know if you're gonna do it, do a test. You might as well put a a red roadster out there and you know send it out to the um, uh, to the asteroid belt, whatever. And if you're not looking up uh, to Musk, you can certainly be looking up to his Red Roadster. Well, that's it for this edition of the Smart Driving Cars podcast. We want to thank Michael Senna for joining us. He's at michaelsenna.com, M-I-C-H-A-E-L-S-E-N-A.com. Find us at smartdrivingcar.com on SoundCloud, and look for my tech reports at textination.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with Alan Kornhauser. Thanks for listening. Juicy sizzling steak, hand-tossed original dough, a four-cheese blend, and Papa John's creamy signature Philly sauce. It's like the best cheesesteak sandwich ever, but way better, because it's on a pizza, which means you can share it. So show some brotherly or whateverly love and get yourself one today. Right now at Papa John's, get a large Philly or any large specialty Papa John's pizza for just 12 bucks. Yes, 12 bucks. Better ingredients, better pizza, Papa John's. At participating U.S. stores, prices may vary. Taxes, tip, and fee extra.